Judges chapter 6, verse 33. We'll pray and then we'll jump in. Father God, we come to you tonight and I pray that we learn something about you, that we learn something from Gideon in these words. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to grow in the things that we learn when we study your words, not just tonight, but anytime we read them. And I pray, God, that you just would free us of any worries or anxiety or anything that may be, be fighting for our attention, dear Lord, things of the world. God, whatever it may be that, that, that that's drawing us from you tonight, if there is anything, then then help us to focus on you, dear Lord, not on those things. I pray that you hide me behind the cross and help me to preach your word in a way that's going to bring glory to you and that's going to help us to grow in you and help us to keep these words in our heart, to tuck them away, uh, to remember them, dear Lord, in our times of trouble, to, to get something from them that you can use in our life. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we have been introduced to Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Uh, and Gideon was was amongst a bunch of other groups that were uh, that were that were in captivity, I guess we can say, uh, by the Midianites. The Midianites and some others had come in, and things were really hard for seven years uh, for the Israelites because they had diso- disobeyed God. They were doing what was evil. They began to worship these false gods, and things had gotten really bad in the land. Uh, so much so that it says uh, whenever the Israelites would plant their crops that the Midianites would come in. Uh, the Israelites were living in caves. That's what it tells us kind of at the beginning of the chapter. And these Midianites and the Amalekites and the Ketamites or the sons or children of the east as they may be referred to in some translations were great numbers. It says their numbers were like that of locusts. Now, if you've ever seen anything about locusts, maybe you've seen it in real life, or maybe you've watched National Geographic some, and you may have seen some of these nature shows where there are locusts. And when locusts come in, they are so thick, you just about can't see through them. Uh, Locusts are thick, they come and they annihilate and they take away all the crops that are in the area. They leave nothing behind. There is complete destruction. Now, it's possible that the, that the language that's being used when it talks about the, the crops being planted, and that's when the Midianites come. Uh, we also saw mention of the locust. We also saw mention uh, of Gideon was threshing wheat in a secret place, trying to be secretive about it. It could be that this was one of the ways, or, or maybe the main way, although the Scripture doesn't tell us, but it may lead us to believe that one of the ways that the Midianites were oppressing the Israelites is they were taking their food. That may be why the author of Judges here refers to the Midianites as locusts. He could just be referring to them as locusts because of their great number, which is a possibility, or he could be using that term because they were a great number and they came in and they were taking all of the Israelites' food. Now, the story may kind of kind of give us some reason to believe that because it mentions, in particular, the planting and the harvest, and it mentions the locusts, and it mentioned Gideon and the thresh, threshing wheat uh, and, and, and not doing it in public, trying to be secret so he could keep what little bit he had to himself without the Midianites knowing about it. And so it seems reasonable, at least, to assume that maybe this was one of the ways, if not the main way, that the Midianites uh, were oppressing the Israelites, although the Bible doesn't. Uh, specifically spell that out for us as something for us to consider and think about 
when we read this story. Uh, now the Lord had appeared to Gideon uh, and told him, look, I'm, I want you to go and I want you to fight for me. I want you to go up against the Midianites. Now I'm summing it up, but everybody just about has probably been here over the last few weeks, so you remember the story. Gideon was a little hesitant to go. He kind of questioned God, why God, uh, why he hadn't done any things, why things had been so bad. He had heard the stories about how great God was, uh, but, but God didn't really answer his questions. He just says, Go, I'm going to strengthen you. I'll be with you. Don't be afraid. And so Gideon uh, proceeds to do what the Lord had told him to do, which was he was supposed to go and tear down this altar of Baal, which was on his father's property, uh, and he was supposed to cut down this Asherah pole. Now, both of these things were places where the people came and worshipped these false gods, and he, was, uh, he didn't want to do it in the day because he knew that there was going to be an uproar in the city among the people there. And so he did it at night. And the next day, when the people found out that their altar had been torn down, that the Asherah pole had been cut down, and that uh, uh, Gideon had set up a, an altar to the Lord there in a burnt offering, uh, they were furious with him. Now, even though this altar was on uh, Gideon's father's land, on Joash's land, uh, it appears as though Joash kind of sticks up for, or well, it doesn't appear, so he does stick up for uh, Gideon in this story. Now, maybe at one time they had worshipped these false gods, maybe uh, entirely or maybe just partly, uh, but at this point there seems to be a shift. Now, Gideon has already begun to follow and serve the Lord, uh, and now Joash seems to be backing his son up in the destruction uh, of this of these altars and of this Asherah pole that's been torn down. So he kind of keeps the people of the city at bay because they're ready to, uh, to, to get rid of Gideon. They're ready to kill him. And Joash says, look, if you want to worship Baal, then let, let Baal speak for himself. If he's such a mighty God, if one has come against him, then let Baal do something. Well, naturally, Baal didn't do anything because Baal can't do anything because it's a false God, a fake God. Now, we see that here, and we also see that in the story of Elijah that we talked about and mentioned last week. And so the Lord has told Gideon to uh, go and do this, and he did exactly what the Lord says. Now, the Lord is preparing Gideon and getting him ready for the big battle that is about to come because the Midianites are great in number, and it's going to be Gideon, who is a mighty warrior. That's what the Lord referred to him as when he first approached him. It's going to be Gideon who's going to lead them. And at the end of chapter 6 here tonight, we see God preparing Gideon uh, to get ready for what's going to take place. Uh, and Gideon's really wanting to make sure this is, this is the Lord that's speaking to him, and that's what we're going to see in these verses. Verse 33. All the Midianites, Amalekites, and Ketamites, are sons of the east or children of the east in some of your translations, gathered together, crossed over the Jordan, and camped in the valley of Jezreel. The Spirit of the Lord took control of Gideon, and he blew the ram's horn, and the Abiezrites rallied behind him. He sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh who rallied behind him. He also sent messengers throughout Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, who also came to meet him. So here we see the scene is set for what's about to take place, this battle. Here come the Amalekites, uh, or the uh, Midianites and the Amalekites and the Ketamites. They're coming uh, kind of back into the land. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. It says they cross over into the Jezreel Valley, which is kind of in the middle. If you remember our map, it's kind of in the middle of that land of Israel there. And so here come the enemies back in. But this time they're going to have someone who's going to stand up against them. 
And it's going to be Gideon who's going to lead just a few Israelites, not many, and they are going to uh, wage war, I should say, maybe is a good way to put it, I guess, against these Midianites who are coming in. Now in verse 34, it says that the Spirit of the Lord took control of Gideon. Now, most of your translations is probably not going to say took control. It's probably going to say came upon. Now, it's, it's an interesting phrase. The, the word that's used there is the word labash. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any means, so I study what little I can, but don't think that, that I really know what I'm talking about. I just know a little bit. But I'll share with you uh, some, some, some things that, that are about this verse that are slightly different from some other ways that we see. Now, we see this idea of the Lord empowering or coming upon people on quite a few instances throughout the Scripture. We, we see that word in the Hebrew, labash, if you look it up, you'll find it quite often in Scripture. Uh, and most of your translations, every time it's used, in particular in the King James, uh, and here in Judges at least, it's used in some other instances, or at least one that I know of, it's translated as come upon us, as it, or come upon him, or someone, in this case Gideon, but uh, the word and the way that it's, that it's formed in the Hebrew here is slightly different because it puts a different emphasis on it in the actual Hebrew. Now, when we think of the idea of the Lord coming upon someone or, 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 or someone putting on the Lord, we see that same type of language in the New Testament where we see Paul talk about that we are to put on Christ. The type of language in the Greek is similar to like putting on a coat or putting on a jacket, which we will all be doing much of here in the next few weeks. Uh, we see that language that we are supposed to put on Christ. That is, uh, we are taking the action to put the Lord on us, to wrap ourselves in the Lord, to wrap the Lord around us. Uh, and, and in some of these cases, the Lord does uh, come upon people. Uh, but, but in this case, uh, it says here in the, in, in the word labash in the Hebrew, what it really means is the Lord took control of him. Not that, not that the Lord empowered him in some way, or just the Holy Spirit just kind of descended on him, but the actual literal reading here uh, it more than likely reads that he took control of him. And so the Spirit of the Lord took control of Gideon here. Now what exactly that means, I really don't know. Uh, but it appears as though the Lord was, was, was in control of Gideon uh, in, a, in a more mighty way, uh, maybe than he was uh, with some other people uh, throughout scriptures. Now the Holy Spirit and the Lord is always upon us. The Holy Spirit comes upon us when we accept the Lord as our Lord and Savior, uh, but the Holy Spirit may not come on everybody in the same way. We all have the Holy Spirit upon us when we come to Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit uses some people in a more mighty way uh, than others. Uh, a good example of that is a quote here, speaking of D.L. Moody. Now, some of you may have heard of D.L. Moody before. Uh, he's a pretty well-known evangelist from many years ago, and I found this quote about him. It says, or the story about him. When a group of British ministers were discussing inviting D.L. Moody for a crusade in the mainland, one minister asked, Why must it be Moody? Does D.L. Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Quietly, one of the other ministers replied, No, but it's evident that the Holy Spirit has a monopoly 
on D.L. Moody. Now, I kind of think that that may be similar to what's going on with Gideon and some others that we see in Scripture. It's not that God didn't put His Spirit on other people. We've even seen that in Judges, that the Spirit empowered people or came upon people. But it seems here in this case in Gideon, at least in the way the Hebrew is written, that the Lord came upon Gideon in a more powerful way, and He kind of took control of Gideon here in these events. Now, when the Lord took control of him, it says... And he blew the ram's horn, and the Abiezrites rallied behind him. Now, the fact that he uh, blew the ram's horn, or blew the sharaf, as you may see if you look in the in the Hebrew, the sharaf was a horn uh, that was blown typically uh, in times of battle. So the blowing of the ram's horn here means that he is rallying the troops, that he's getting everybody ready for a battle that is about to take place. Here Gideon is saying, we are about to take on the Midianites. And so he blew the ram's horns, and the Abiezrites rallied around him. Now, it's interesting here, I think, that the Abiezrites rallied around him because it's the Abiezrites that would have been the ones living in the community where he has. Uh, it says that Joash is of the Abiezrites, who is Abiezar, who is a, a former relative. That's why they're called the Abiezrites. And these at least some of them may have been the same ones that were just wanting to kill Gideon for destroying the false altar. Uh, he was there in that area. It's the Abiezrites that lived in that area, and it's the Abiezrites now that are coming to rally behind him in this battle cry. Now, it could be that there were some of the Abiezrites that didn't like him, that worshipped uh, the false god, and there were some others that still were, were ready to fight for the Lord, or it could be that some of this group, the Abiezrites, were some of the same ones who just a few verses before uh, wanted, to, uh, wanted to kill Gideon for what he had done. The text doesn't tell us clearly, but uh, we can assume that since it's the same group in the same area, that some of these may have been the same people that were uh, earlier trying to kill him. That's something for us to consider in that verse. So they are rallying behind him. So he has this first group that's coming that's saying, I'm ready to fight with you in this cause. In verse 35, it says, He sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh who rallied behind him. He also sent messengers throughout Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali who also came to meet him. Now all of these tribes that are being mentioned here, when it says uh, Manasseh, Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, those are all tribes of Israel. Now, if you remember the map, up toward the northern part of the map is where, where most of these tribes resided. Manasseh was kind of right in the middle. And remember, Manasseh was on one side of the Jordan River and on the other, kind of had two sections of land because half stayed on the other side of the Jordan. And so the people of Manasseh, that's the tribe that Gideon was from, they came rallying behind him. But also Asher, which is also in the northern part of the kingdom. Now, why none of these southern uh, tribes came to the aid, I don't know. Maybe it's because the Midianites were there up closer to the north and these were the Israelites that were closest to them. Maybe that's why it's only these few northern tribes that come. But Asher comes, and also Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, if you remember from when we read about Deborah and Barak, those were the two tribes uh, that, that Barak sent for. Those were the ones that came and fought uh, in the battle against Sisera. And so it could be that Gideon remembered that. It could be that he remembered, hey, Zebulun and Naphtali, they were faithful to fight in the past. They're going to be faithful to fight now. It could have been he sent people to them just because they were close, 
Or it could have been he sent people to them because he knew their past and he knew they would be willing to fight for the Lord. So he's gathering up these groups that are coming together, uh, the people of Manasseh, uh, the people of, of, of Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, along with the ones right there immediately around him, the Abiezrites. And so he's gathering up these Israelites and getting ready to do what the Lord has called him to do, preparing them to go to war. Uh, they are no longer wanting to be enslaved to the Midianites, but they have decided they want to fight against them. They're going to trust the Lord, that the Lord would deliver them over to them. And so the ram horn has been blown, uh, and they are getting ready for battle. Now, we see that same word that's used for the ram horn here is the same language that's used in Joshua. If you remember when we studied the book of Joshua and they went in to conquest uh, Jericho and they marched around the city, uh, they blew the trumpet uh, and the wall and they shouted and the walls tumbled down and all that stuff. Uh, and that's probably kind of the same type of thing that's fisting to happen here. When he blows this trumpet, it's letting the people know it's fisting to get serious. Let's read on a little further, verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you said, I will put a fleece of wool here on the threshing floor. If dew is only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will deliver Israel by my strength, as you said. And that is what happened. When he got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung dew out of it, filling a bowl with water. Gideon then said to God, Don't be angry with me. Let me speak one more time. Please allow me to make one more test with the fleece. Let it remain dry and the dew be all over the ground. That night, God did as Gideon requested. Only the fleece was dry and the dew was all over the ground. So Gideon here wanting to, wanting to make sure that the Lord was going to be with him. Now this was, a, this was not maybe a terribly unreasonable request. Because as we're going to see as we read on into uh, the book of Judges in the next couple of chapters, that the Midianites' armies that, that numbered that came against them were 135,000 people. Now that was a large group of Midianites that had come against them. What we will also see in the, in the coming verses as we read along in a couple of weeks is that there were only 32,000 Israelites initially that all came together. So even if all 32,000 Israelites would have gone into battle, well, they were greatly outnumbered. They were almost five times as many Midianites as there were uh, Israelites. Now, not all 32,000 of those were going to go into battle, and we'll get into more detail about that in the weeks to come. And so it's kind of natural, I think, for Gideon to be a little afraid, as probably all of us would be if we saw a great army before us. As much as we know the Lord can do, and as much as we read that the Lord has done in His Word, and we see that the Lord has done, uh, most of us probably, maybe not, I probably would be a little hesitant saying, okay, God, are you really with me? Are you, is this really what you want me to do? And that's kind of what we see Gideon doing here. He puts the fleece out. Now, that's a phrase that you may have heard in your life. Sometimes you may hear Christians say, I put my fleece out, or you need to put your fleece out. Well, they're referring to this story right here, because that's what Gideon did. He said, I'm going to put my fleece out, and if the fleece is wet, but the rest of the ground is, 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 is dry, and the fleece is wet with the dew, then God, I'll know that it's you, because that's impossible to happen unless you had some involvement with it. And God makes his request. He rings the fleece out. Water fills up a bowl. But Gideon says, don't be angry with me. I want to ask you one more time. Could you do just the opposite? 
Could tomorrow, could you let the fleece be dry and the rest of the ground be wet? And the Lord did as Gideon had requested. Now, there's a couple of ways this can be taken. There are some who would look at this passage and say, well, Gideon really had a lack of faith here. Gideon shouldn't have been testing the Lord. He knew the Lord was going to be with him. The Lord had already spoken to him. And some would say that Gideon uh, shouldn't have acted this way, that this was a wrong way for Gideon to act, and that you shouldn't test the Lord. After all, Jesus says that we shouldn't test the Lord. We see him say that uh, in the New Testament when uh, Satan is coming against him. That is one way to take it, although I don't believe that that's what Gideon was doing here. I don't believe that he was testing the Lord in the same way that Jesus was referring to. Now, in that passage that Jesus was saying, don't test the Lord, Satan was trying to get him to jump off the high place and let the Lord's angels catch him and, 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 and all of these other things he was trying to get Jesus to do. And one of the things Jesus says in that is don't test the Lord. Now, that would be foolish of us to say, all right, God, do you really love me? I'm fitting to jump off the Empire State Building. Well, that is kind of testing the Lord. That's a foolish thing to do. And that's not, I don't believe at all, what Gideon was doing here. Now, some would say that Gideon had a lack of faith in this. But I also believe the scripture tells us the exact opposite of that because in Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith or the Heroes of Faith, guess whose name is listed in there as one of the heroes of faith? Well, it's Gideon. And so if Gideon's faith would have been a problem here, I don't think he would have made the the Hall of Faith. And so when I read these verses, and I may be wrong because there are plenty of Christians that believe what I just said, but I believe what Gideon was doing is he just wanted to make sure the Lord was with him. He wanted to make sure, God, show me that you're going to be with me. Now, maybe his faith should have been stronger, or maybe his faith was already strong enough. Maybe that's why he was uh, listed in the heroes of faith there in Hebrews chapter 11. I think what he wanted to do was make sure that it was the Lord who was sending him. I don't think that Gideon was looking for a way out. I think Gideon was saying, all right, God, I'm ready to serve you. I just want to make sure that this is of you, dear Lord. I want to make sure that this is what you want me to do. And so when we, when we hear the phrase, put out your fleece, you may think, well, that's a bad thing. We should have enough faith that we should never have to put out our fleece. But there may indeed be times in our life where it is good for us to put out our fleece. Because there may be things that we feel that God is leading us to do, but it may not be the Lord, or it may be the Lord. Now, there may have been times in your life that you've put out your fleece, that you have prayed to God. Maybe, maybe you've literally put out a fleece, or maybe it's something else. You've prayed, God, if this is something you want me to do, then let this happen. Let me see this sign. Uh, and some of you may have prayed those things and seen the very thing that you've prayed for. Uh, that's not uncommon. Sometimes I hear Christians, they'll tell stories that they prayed about something that was very specific, that they told nobody about, that there's no way it could be done other than the Lord. And lo and behold, the Lord did whatever they prayed for. Now, I believe in those instances, it probably is the Lord working. And it was definitely the Lord working in the case of Gideon. Now, I'm not going to tell you how you should uh, understand this scripture. If you believe that it's, that it's a lack of faith to ask God for those things and you're convicted and you don't want to put out a fleece, then by all means, don't do so. Uh, But if you look at these verses and you say, no, there's times in my life where I really need to know that God is with me 
and I really want understanding. Well, I don't believe that there's nothing wrong with saying, God, I want to make sure that it's you. We're not testing God in a way uh, like we would be if we were to jump off the building, as I mentioned earlier. This is a different type of thing. This is a trying to discern God. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be discerning so that we are not led astray by the enemy who may put temptations or ideas in our mind, or we may come up with ideas on our own that we may think, boy, this would be great, but it may not be of God. Now, as Christians, we should desire to do what's of God, definitely not what's of the devil, and as enticing as it may be, not even do what we think is right. We want to do what the Lord thinks is right. And sometimes we may need that little extra discernment. We may need that little extra guidance. And that's what I believe Gideon was asking for here. And I believe his faith was strong. And I believe that's why he was mentioned as one who had faith in the Lord. And so here was Gideon uh, from, from one of the smallest families and, and a weakest family and one of the smallest tribes coming up with all these excuses why he couldn't trust the Lord. And the Lord himself empowered him, came upon him, took control of him and said, all right, you're the one I'm going to use. You're the mighty warrior. And Gideon said, are you sure? Are you sure? Let me make sure, dear Lord, it's you. And the Lord said, yep, I'm sure. And the Lord showed Gideon that he was going to be with him. And as we're going to see in the pages to come, the Lord is going to use Gideon in a mighty way. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight. I thank you for these words. And I pray, dear Lord, that if there are decisions and things that we ever have to make, that we do discern whether it's of you, uh, whether it's of you or, or not of you, dear Lord God. I pray that if there are some that put out fleeces, God, that they would... That they would just listen to whatever they pray for, dear Lord. And if, if you don't reveal to them what they're praying for, then God, let them know that it's not of you or, or is of you and you don't want them to go that direction. But dear Lord, help us to be able to discern the difference between what you want and what we want and what the enemy is trying to get us to do, dear Lord God, that we can be faithful to you, dear Lord. We don't want to test you. We don't doubt you. We don't doubt who you are or what you can do. We just want to make sure we're doing right by you, dear Lord, and doing your will and not our own. And so I pray, God that as we uh, go through our battles in life and our struggles and our hard days and our tough days, that we would continue to seek you in the same way that Gideon did, that you would help us to put you on, dear Lord, as your word says, that we'd put on Jesus, dear Lord, that you would use us in a mighty way, God. We know that you fill us with the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you just uh, use us to do your work how you see fit, dear Lord. And maybe there are some of us that you want to use in the same way you use Gideon, dear Lord. Maybe there are some... There are some things that you're calling us to, and I pray that no matter how big or how small, we'd be obedient to do them. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.